0: All right. Hey, everyone, welcome to the very First episode of the newest track of Seeking Wisdom, the Operations Track. My name is Sean Lane, and I lead our Sales Ops team here at Drift. Now, if you're a regular listener to Seeking Wisdom, you know that we've been expanding. In addition to our original show with DC and DG, we've introduced more specific tracks with more hosts to cover more topics. We've got a marketing show. We have a product show called Build with Maggie. We have this show called Exceptions. It's all about really unique B2B brands. They're all amazing, and now. We have operations. Yes, you heard me right, operations. Here's the thing, I've got this theory. My theory is that ops teams, and more specifically ops people, we have a branding problem. It's not that we don't have an identity, we do, and it's certainly not that we don't have interesting stories to tell, we do. It's just that historically, we haven't done a great job of telling them. For every big, splashy marketing campaign or every rip of the sales gong, there's a whole bunch of work that's happening behind the scenes, under the hood, behind the curtain, whichever metaphor you wanna use. But when I looked around for other places, other podcasts that told these types of stories or tackled these types of topics, I couldn't find any. So. On this podcast, we're on a mission to confront that branding problem. We're going to look under the hood of fast growing companies to see what it really takes to build a company while going through hypergrowth. And to do that, we're going to talk to the people who have been there, done that, so that for those of us who are desperately trying to build companies while in the throes of hypergrowth, whether you're an ops or not, we want to give you role models and examples that you can point to and learn from along the way. So, My job, you can think of me as your tour guide as we set out on this mission together. I'm gonna do my best to ask probing questions, find some smart guests, and point out things that we find are interesting along the way. And what better way to kick things off than looking ourselves in the mirror? To do that, I went to Drift's VP of Operations, Will Collins, who, by the way, also just so happens to be my boss. Now, Will joined Drift early, as like the 13th employee. And one of the things that I, I've always think is interesting is how people in ops come to be in ops in the first place. And Will's story is no different.
1: I grew up in finance, so I did investment banking originally. I got into venture because I've always been like a tech nerd to mm. an extent, like kind of, I built computers growing up. I used to, one of my jobs in high school was setting up home wireless networks when like DSL was a thing. <laughs> I've been a gamer. Like, I just enjoy tech. And I geek out over systems and and gear and all that kind of stuff. And I realized quickly, like, I didn't want to be a banker. I got into VC because I thought, man, I love tech. I could do this for a living. That's, like, a a great way to marry passion with day-to-day. And I loved venture. But what I personally came to the realization of was, like, I'd much rather spend my time working with a small team, like, becoming an expert in something and building something and solving a problem than being, like, more of a fund manager. Mm. And as I was moving my way up in venture, the kinds of problems that I was spending my day thinking about were things like, what kind of return is this for my fund? Is this the right CEO? How am I finding the next deal? When do I need to raise another fund? Those kind of dynamics and less about like a really specific problem that I'm solving for a customer and just long-term passion, like what did I want to spend my time thinking
0: about? It was clear that it was more on the operation side and less on the investing side. Did you find yourself while you were going through all of your diligence and looking at these companies, yeah. thinking about that, yeah. and envisioning yourself
1: at these companies? Exactly, so what, one, one of the things that we did as associates is we'd do all this work, right? Six months to like source the deal, actually get it done, then you'd invest, and the beauty of like the associate role mm. is then we'd come up with a 100-day plan. And the 100-day plan was, like, one, maybe it was, like, we need to find an independent board director. But then, like, two, three, and four were all operational. And it was, like, we really need to figure out, like, what our gross and net churn are by these different divisions. And then we need to set up a support organization to deal with that. And that was, like an example of one of the problems that I, like operational problems that I would be on the ground solving with a portfolio company. Hmm. And I really enjoyed that. And then I would like stop and go find the next one. Hmm. And so that start and stop for me was was painful. And I like would do all this work and get this in a place that it was like ready to scale, and I felt excited about it. They'd start to hire people, and then I would like leave. <laughs> right. And that was just like not super
0: satisfying for me. It's kind of like the difference of people who are consultants versus people who work inside the company. You don't know right? the result. Right. Exactly. And but and, talk about uh, still a great training ground.
1: Oh, I mean, working with entrepreneurs, uh, people that are passionate about what they do is amazing. Early stage tech is definitely where I want to be. Like that kind of ecosystem disrupting industries, making better consumer experiences, like all of that lined up really, really well. But the day-to-day tactical was
0: just not the perfect fit for me. And so Will left the VC world and went to business school to get his MBA, which if you have followed our CEO, David Cancel, at all in the past or listened to Maggie's show, Build, getting your MBA is typically an immediate disqualifier for working at Drift. Simply put, and you can Google this, I'm not divulging anything new here, DC was on the record as not being a fan of MBAs. But then in 2016, he wrote a blog post called Why I Want an MBA to Join My Team at Drift, where he outlined this amorphous role called operator in residence. So I decided to go back and read the blog post, and the job description is a healthy mix of part intimidating, part intriguing, and quite frankly, part unappealing. Quote, do not apply to this job if you are concerned with work-life balance. Do not apply to this job if you're afraid to get your hands dirty. But, of course, there's a bunch of incredibly appealing parts of the role as well. So Will, who was used to picking companies for VCs, was now about to graduate from business school and needed to pick a company and a job for himself. And he did what any good ops person would do. He made a spreadsheet.
1: I did the original like spreadsheet thing, which was like, <laughs> I came up with a list of 600 companies in Boston. I whittled that down to... Uh, basically, the two criteria I had were team and market. I wanted really smart people that I like, really wanted to work with and for that were trying to do something really, really big. Like basically, that was it. And I whittled it down to like five companies that I was super excited about. I actually I did that before I found out Drift was hiring. So I found out about this job because I had listened to Gerhardt when he was at HubSpot, mm. DG. When he was at HubSpot, he did a podcast called Tech in Boston. I used to listen to that. He came over. He started seeking wisdom. I started listening to Seeking Wisdom before I found out about the job. Wow. It just so happened, I mean, luck and timing are real things. It just so happened that at the time, like, I had turned down a couple of things. I would come out of business school without a job, which is not – I wouldn't recommend that. Not normal. Like, 99.8% of my, co- or my peers had jobs a year before that, so it was stressful, but – I'd been listening to Seeking Wisdom and they that episode popped up and it sounded like like a body guy. <laughs> it <Like, laughs> sounded like a body guy. It did. Like one of the bullet points is like, schedule my appointment. Answer my email. Yeah. And honestly, I didn't even read it. Like I, I did. Of course, I saw that bullet point, but like I did not read the job description for what it was. And I think thankfully, at least luckily, my mindset was it doesn't matter. Mm this company is going to change 50 times this role is going to change 50 times what matters is am i passionate about what they're trying to do can i add a lot of value and am i like aligned with the team and if those three things are true they're trying to build something big even i can't predict at that point whether or not it's going to work but if i can genuinely say that after 2 years or whatever time i put into this that i'm going to learn a ton and work with people I'm really I really want to work with on a problem that I really care about like that is as good as I can possibly get at this point Mm. and the rest is the rest are details.
0: Am I passionate about what they're trying to do? Can I add a lot of value and am I aligned with the team? Now everybody has their own criteria for why they pick the job they pick or why they keep getting up in the morning to go back to that job but Will had his. Now there was no guarantee that this operator and residence thing was going to work out. But early in his tenure at Drift, Will got thrown in the fire and at different points in time, owned everything from sales to CS to finance.
1: When I came in, the way that I thought about it was, we have a really dedicated product team. Obviously, both David and Elias are full stack engineers. Like they got that. Like I'm not adding any value there. <laughs> we got DG, like a, a full fledged marketing team. And let's face it, I'm not adding any value there. But like everything else was kind of like we'll figure it out. Yeah. And that was great for me because I got to look at a bunch of different problems. And you know, I had exposure to sales. I had exposure to CS. I had exposure to systems and CRM and and you know, finance, obviously, and legal and IT and that kind of stuff. So. It allowed me and to run around and do a bunch of things, which was great. The other thing I think was good for the company was we didn't have to invest in people at the wrong time. We could wait for that person. We could we could True. recruit Julie Hogan for a year. We could keep in touch with Jim Kelleher and when he the, the right time came, like add that person without sacrificing like the result of the business short term. Right, mm-hmm. so. I came over time, you know, running CS and thank God for like Kara and Michelle and (laughs) all of that crew for putting up with me and, and even sales at, you know, Kevin and Danielle and Brandon, that whole crew. I knew I wasn't going to be like a functional VP of sales of CS. I didn't have 10 years of scaling a team doing that. And frankly, like where my strength was, I felt was numbers, systems, and those kinds of things. So, slowly like at one point I think I had 16 people reporting to me and I knew like that wasn't sustainable and nor am I like the functional expert so I did my best to put us in a position to succeed and at least like cover the major bases and then when we had the right person to help recruit that person or help get them up to speed or, you know, enable them from an operations perspective as best I could. But when those people came and it was clear talking to them, they were the right people, (laughs) absolutely throw everything. Um,
0: I think all the personnel benefits that you outlined are, are spot on, but I think the other either intended or unintended consequence of all of that exposure that you had early was the fact that you then gained this like really Tactical understanding and appreciation for the work that those people did, right? Whereas I think a VP of Ops who came in, you know, let's say we hired somebody today for your job without having the, the experience and the exposure that you've had over the last few years, I think that it really helps to not only give you context, but also empathy for the gigs that people had. Like for me personally, I didn't go into a specifically operational role until I had already done customer facing roles for four years on both the post-sale and pre-sale side and having done those gigs before gave me the appreciation and also like I think also it gives you a little bit of just like not confidence but like status or respect from people who are now in those gigs knowing that you've been there done that in their shoes before too right
1: I couldn't agree with you more like I think not only does it enable you to have a level of credibility that you wouldn't have otherwise, but it also makes you just more empathetic. Like, I get having a quota is not easy. It's very, very hard. And it's easy from the outside to see the gong and see the music and like look at that and be like, I could do that. Hmm. Never the case. Never the case. It's always more difficult when you're in the role, sitting down day to day, making a tough decision. There's lots of gray area. I think it's super critical to have some exposure to that, whether it's a full time role or it's six months in it or it's supporting somebody, you know, closely and being on calls or whatever. There's varying degrees, but I
0: I, I think it's
1: it, it should be a requirement.
0: So I think we've started to zero in on a key trait in the ops identity, empathy having empathy for your internal customers is just as important as having empathy for your external customers. And Will's unique path within Drift set him up to do just that. So then his next challenge was to set up the actual operations team itself. He had to make decisions about how it would look, and he landed on this idea of a centralized ops model, like the hub of a wheel surfacing a bunch of different spokes.
1: I think there were two things. One, I think David and Elias' experience scaling companies to thousands of employees, I think what what they learned doing that was these divisions become their own companies. Yeah, Sales gets so big, it becomes its own company with its own culture and its own norms and its own, it just becomes its own entity. CS the same way, marketing the same way, finance the same way. The finance is never that big, but like product, right? These, these big functional divisions become their own companies. And Especially, you know, when you have ops there, when you serve the VP of sales, like you're gonna have the opinion of sales. If you're in marketing, you serve the VP of marketing, you're gonna have the opinion of marketing. So I think their observation that that happened, one, it got really hard to coordinate them. And two, I think they, what they would tell you is the job of sales become, th- became throwing something over to CS. The job of marketing became throwing something over to sales. And these these big tall walls ended up in friction points for the customer, and some of the people that we find most inspirational from a company perspective, Walmart, Amazon, have have frankly taken a different approach. Amazon's two pizza rule, like how was Walmart able to open fifty franchises when Kmart was only able to do four? It had a super lean structure and structured data model that they were able to do from like a centralized location right so that was i think David and elise's experience my experience on the biz op side was if you don't own anything you become this like really weird policeman again you report to the ceo or the c-suite whatever and you run around, you give recommendations, but ultimately it's up to the division whether or not they choose to do it. And you're supposed to be this, this team that like bridges gaps and streamlines process and all that stuff, but you can't actually do it. And so my experience there was, we need to own it. And so I think their experience of small autonomous teams, like their preference for that, and my preference for having something and owning it and streamlining from a central lo- location The combination of those two is why we ultimately landed where we did.
0: Yeah, I think the other added benefit that at least I've seen during my short time here is the idea that, again, you're breaking down these silos that you're talking about, right? So these parts of the organization don't become their own unique entities, but also you have an appreciation for the impact that the changes you're making or the systems you're adding or the process you're changing, you have an appreciation for the impact that it's gonna have on the the other team, right? Right. Whereas a a sales team focusing entirely on its own might not care about like, hey, we're gonna do this thing and then like CS will have to deal with it afterwards or marketing is gonna throw stuff over the fence and sales gonna have to deal with it. But by having this kind of more comprehensive view, I think of the org, we're able to, again, it kind of, I think it just comes back to that idea of like comprehensive understanding, but also empathy for the other teams.
1: Yeah. And, and knowing that you can never make a decision, especially when it comes to systems reporting information flow or process that's in a vacuum, it just doesn't happen. But because our systems are so closely tied today, because we can integrate whatever we want, we can use 50 tools, we can all have our own tool. It's just one thing cascades in ways that are hard to predict. And yeah. when you're selfishly motivated and you don't have exposure to those other areas, it's easy to make you know, those kinds of decisions in a vacuum when in reality there are real consequences.
0: I think this is a good place to pause for a second to dig deeper into something that Will is alluding to here, that things don't always go the right way. It's easy to hear all the successes in these stories, but as someone who is here alongside Will every single day, I can tell you, We hit roadblocks, we screw stuff up, and we get stuck every single day.
1: I think there's two problems I run into frequently. One is, I mean, obviously stubborn and ego, like thinking I have the answer (laughs) is one. But even that aside, I think one problem I run into a lot is not solving like the core of an issue. So someone will come with a problem and say like, man, it would be great if we did this or why can't we have this view or whatever. And what it really is is like a symptom of something else. And so I'll do the minimum like fix or whatever, but someone will keep coming back and I'll start to recognize like there's four different problems that ultimately like reflect something else. Mm. So getting to like a root cause, I'm definitely still learning on how to do that more effectively. And then the other thing, so... The other thing is technology, like, is not always the answer. <laughs> like, mm. a lot of, we, we have a tendency to get excited about tools and excited about shiny things that can solve all of our problems, but it tends never to be the the only solution. You can always leverage technology, but I think the best thing to do, and, and I uh, always find myself, like, reverting to this, is start manual start small do it pen and paper Then figure it literally like it's stupid but it's real start with pen and paper write it down you know how i came up with a monthly dashboard i was on it every day writing it on my calendar (laughs) that dc gave me and i was like hey idiot like put this in a dashboard and send it out to everybody right but but you felt the pain point yourself yeah it's it's true so i think that that's something those are two things i struggle with and i think simplifying and coming back to like what is the root cause of something and if i need to run it by somebody talk to reps like man talk to people on the front lines that are living and breathing it every day you can sit in front of a spreadsheet or a system all day and think you've got some perfectly crafted thing and it blows up day one so get feedback on it i think that's the quickest way to fix it and if you think you have the right fix go to somebody with it Say, hey, is this really going to solve your problem? Yes or no? Mm. Work through it that way. Like, I think feedback, getting that sooner or more often, is just, like, ultimately the way to get over those humps.
0: Before we go, at the end of each show, we're going to ask every guest the same lightning round of questions. Ready? Here we go. Best book you've read in the last six months?
1: Oh, boy. Best book I've read in the last six months. I just finished The Everything Store. That's an amazing book. Got it.
0: Favorite part about working in ops? Just exposure to the whole business, for sure. I think that's going to be the, a common answer to that one. Yeah. Least favorite part about working in ops? Ooh, it can be tough to predict. Your day can totally
1: get away from you quickly. And yeah. when you're trying to accomplish big rocks, you got to be on your time. Someone who impacted you getting the job you have today? A guy, Peter Barton. So I read a book that was called A Short Life Well Lived. And it was all about he ended up getting into the cable business with John Malone. And he he died at 51. And it was all about his life story and how he basically, like, triangulated and just said, like, I don't know. This is actually a good story. So when I applied for the job, it was a type form. Okay. And I wrote three pages. I kid you not. I wrote three pages. DC responded to me immediately and said, I think you could be a good fit. And then ignored me for a month and a half. <laughs> a month and a half. I would email him like every single week. Like, hey, I saw this article. I couldn't agree more with this. Or like, did you see that Intercom's doing this? Or what? just like go. <laughs> you had a monitor up just... campaign. And I was down here for another interview. I was driving back to school. And I, it was 5 p.m. Like a month and a half later. I'm like, this is it. Like, this guy's never going to respond to me. I email him like, hey, I'm in town. I had come down to see him speak at a founder collective event. Heard his life story. And I was like convinced. Like, I just have to work here and he finally responded let's get a beer so like wow that's how i ended up meeting with him and then i slept on a friend's couch i bought clothes slept on a friend's couch that night met elias the next morning and like the the rest was history damn but i think because i read that book i read that book and he was and and peter said i went into that meeting with john malone and he had offers at cisco and like amazing companies but he's like i just i learned about that guy and his history and what he was all about and like I just talked to him and I knew that was somebody I would work for. Like I had a similar moment to that. Wow. And that's ultimately like how I had the confidence to make the decision. That's
0: amazing. A Short Life Well-Lived? Yeah. Great book. I got to read that. And then last one, one piece of advice for someone who wants to have your job someday.
1: I would say like, I don't know, this is stupid, but just like put in the time. Like it's easy to get, you know, whether you're doing sales ops or you're doing CS ops or you're doing marketing ops today, even if you're functional in one of those divisions, like Get comfortable with numbers, and and do your best to like learn how other parts of the organization work. Like I think the benefit I had of being in in finance and in venture was I had some of that exposure. And if I didn't have that background, I would if I were in sales ops, like I would be doing CS things, I would be doing marketing ops things, I would be learning how they report their metrics and how they think about their business and forecasting and and those kinds of things, because it's going to be super critical and you're touching it, whether you know it or not. And the more you get comfort with how the other divisions work, the better you're going to be to be in this kind of position.
0: Awesome. Will Collins, VP of operations at Drift. Thank you very much. Appreciate thanks for it. having me. This is great. We did it. That's a wrap on our very first episode of the operations track of seeking wisdom. Thanks to all of you for listening. And thanks very much to Will for being our first guest. Before we go, I've got two quick asks for all of you. First, in order for me to be an effective tour guide and make the most of this show, I want to hear from you. I know the Seeking Wisdom community isn't shy, so send me your feedback, the stuff you want to learn about, the people you want to hear from, topics you want us to cover. You can email me at slane at drift.com, tweet at me, message me on LinkedIn, whatever. Second ask, if you're a regular Seeking Wisdom listener, you know what's coming. We need you to show us your support for the show and help me show DC and DG that this ops track deserves a spot by leaving us a six star review on Apple Podcasts. six star reviews only help us out. All right. I think that's it. I am out of here. We'll see you next time.